Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you all found us, we're glad that you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey, and joining me tonight, we actually have a very special guest. Some of you all might know him as Take. Some of you may know him from his work at WhiskeyRaiders.com for news and reviews. Weekly Whiskey, which is a video show about news, products, and happenings in the whiskey world. Also moderator of the popular R Bourbon Reddit subform and single barrel program for R Bourbon. And as we like to call him the pappy of whiskey reviewers, Jay West. Jay, how you doing tonight? Oh, that's that's a great lead in. I am doing well. I was better before I heard the pappy line, but I'm I'm just gonna roll with it. <laughs> Gear Patrol said something completely different, and I have to say I like that one better, but I'll, I'll take the honorary Pappy reviewers for tonight. I'll, I'll take okay. it. We'll take it. Well, I, I thought this would be timely, uh, and I was I was going to be going through some, some pours, and I've had this in queue for a while, and I want to talk to the guys about reviewers and about influencers and, and samples sent out, because I, I like that they can talk about it from both sides, but then as I was kind of just sitting on this a little bit more, I figured while the guys were out, this might be a really good podcast to bring somebody else in on, a good topic to kind of talk through with somebody who might have a, a different perspective that we can just maybe have two episodes that kind of hit from different directions. And so I wanted to bring in Jay because Jay has been reviewing and talking about whiskey for a long time. And uh, what I want to I want to make nod uh, to anyone who's listening to this who maybe didn't catch about two and a half years ago, the episode uh, 230 on the Bourbon Pursuit podcast, where he was talking about our bourbon and reviews and, and, and kind of diving into things in a little bit more detail. I want to direct people over to that episode as kind of a, a precursor to this one to get some of the behind the scenes information that we probably won't rehash here. But I mean, even then, at the time of the recording for that episode, you all had 93,000 subs on that uh, subreddit at the time of airing that it had been up to 109 and we've doubled that in size since the recording today. So Jay, I'll, I'm going to pass it over to you and, and we'll kind of go through a myriad of questions, but you know, without getting into all that kind of backstory where people can pick up, uh, maybe we can pick up from where we were then because a lot's happened from that. And, and one of the first things I wanted to, to kind of dig into was when did you first meet or connect with the Pursuit guys? Uh, how, what's what's that relationship? What did it previously look like? Uh, maybe what it's uh, grown to look like, you know, first you all first interacted. Yeah, so uh, that's actually a great question. My first interaction with the Pursuit guys was indeed that episode. Like Kenny, I forget what handle he used. It might have been Bourbon Pursuit was just like in my inbox, you know, in, in the mod queue and was like, hey guys, like friendly wave, you know, does one of you want to talk about Reddit on a podcast and I was the guy that, you know, everyone shuffled to the back and I was like, oh, it's me. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. That, that sounds fun. Uh, since then though, I mean, it's, it's been a fun journey. I've met both of them in person. Uh, Ryan has actually been involved in a barrel pick with me that's yet to come out. So we'll, we'll can the details on that one. You know, I've, I've seen Kenny and hung with Walter a, a couple of times and had some good pours. So you know, it, it's been interesting to go from from a name on a screen. And that's how a lot of relationships in the world of whiskey have been. It's been a transformation from, you know, green text or blue text or red text on a screen to, you know, someone you're shaking hands with and getting pours with and shooting a text to the next time you're in Kentucky, uh, you know, to meet up and kind of keep the friendship going. 
Yeah, how often do you get a chance to get here? I mean, I know you're doing picks all the time. Yeah, I want to say I've been to Kentucky like five or six times this year. Probably going to keep that schedule. It's at least quarterly. It seems that something's happening or, you know, there's a fire to put out or, you know, there's barrels that need to get picked. So it's probably every three, two to three months I seem to be on a plane to Kentucky. A quote that you had in the last episode that I really think kind of just sums up a lot of what we're going to go into, what we want to talk about. You had mentioned, uh, I think the best way to learn about something is to think about it and write about it and try and tell other people about it because it kind of helps you gauge your own understanding. And I thought that was really interesting because of what you talked about in that episode about, you know, just the general community there in the Arb Urban Sub Reddit and that there are multiple people. It's not just whiskey reviewers per se or or influencers. It, it's everybody kind of talking about whiskey, talking about bourbon. Let's talk about, you know, where things have been since that last recording, because that was when it aired, I believe. December 2019, so we know that immediately after that, you know, just a couple of months, is when we saw COVID hit, and that changed a lot of how we interact. There wasn't a lot of handshaking. It was a lot of the, you know, green, red, and blue text, so I'm curious if you can talk about where you've seen the whiskey community go, you know, since you were all's last recording, you know, through that whole season. Yes, certainly. So, for me, it, it's really interesting, and I never want to put light on COVID, but people ask, like, how how was COVID for you in, in the whiskey industry, in the whiskey groups and communities and what you do? And, you know, at the risk of sounding insensitive here, like, COVID didn't do bad things to the online whiskey community. It helped legitimize it in a way, you know, people even up to the celebrity point, were unwilling to be on the internet. They were unwilling to go, like forego in-person events. They were unwilling to do things virtually when they could get on a plane and go do them in person. And furthermore, they were unwilling to engage with the online communities until it was the only way they had to engage with people who helped them make their livelihood. And I don't even mean in whiskey, just like we saw bands, we saw whiskey people, we saw breweries, every form of mixology and restaurants and cuisine, and, and even like travel bloggers who were previously going places to talk about them had to find a way, uh, you know, to connect to where the people were. And that was people in their own homes. And the only way to get to them was the internet. So overall, like it was very good for the whiskey community because it kind of put everyone in the same place for like kind of a while, you know, before you had internet people and you had in-person people and people who would sometimes dabble in both. But for about 18 solid months, like everyone was stuck in the same place, whether they liked it or not. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I won't say that it was good, you know, because we, you know, had tremendous suffering and economic issues related to that. But overall, it helped the world realize that the online whiskey community was like a pro. It wasn't just something that they had to deal with or like cater to or you know, especially in terms of Reddit, like people are afraid of Reddit and I kind of can't blame them. We're a passionate group, but <laughs> it, it, you know, in, in some days I'm afraid of Reddit. So like all you Redditors out there, like some days you have me on my toes, but it, it was interesting to watch it transform. And that's one of the things that got me into doing the barrel program, the capacity that we're doing it now. But uh, it was really encouraging to see people who were like, oh, Reddit, like six months later, we're like, 
hey, so can we can we do something with Reddit? Because like that's where all of my people are now. And you guys like for me, it was kind of like welcoming people into my living room because of like I've always been here. You know, this is where we've been and this is where we will be. But, you know, come in and stay a while. See how things are. It's not really that scary. Like, here's some tea. Here's some whiskey, you know. So it was it was really insightful to watch it as it happened because I did not expect it to work as, I don't want to say well, like it wasn't a business plan or a play, but I thought, oh gosh, a lot of people are going to come onto Reddit and it's going to be a total shit show. I expected like the shit show of the ages, even worse than things already were. But uh, people found a lot of solace and they made a lot of connections and relationships. And it was fun to see people who were like, join Reddit because I had nothing else to do and like, this place is pretty cool. And they're like reviewers who didn't exist before COVID are now like a couple hundred reviews deep. And, you know, I had no place in welcoming them into Reddit, but it's cool to see like, hey, I saw you come in during the pandemic and you've stayed even now that you can get back on airplanes and go do stuff. And to me, like that's super heartwarming. Did you see a rise in people looking for reviews on whiskey or did you see people coming in the the other avenues that were just like, well, I don't. I don't know. What do you mix whiskey with? Like what, what, what's in your pantry mix? What did you, what did you see happen? Yeah, it, it was interesting because a lot of people, I don't want to say got into whiskey in the pandemic. I think they were all, always interested in whiskey, but everyone during the pandemic, I felt like picked up something people, some people picked up a, an extra kit or two, you know, but most people were out there learning how to bake bread and cook food they hadn't previously experimented with. And I think a lot of people, who were like, you know what, I've enjoyed whiskey, but now I have some time and and maybe, you know, the privilege of a few extra bucks. Why don't I make this my rabbit hole? And that was really apparent. Like even just subscriber count went through the roof and people like, you know, were like, I have some time. Let me try this writing thing. Like threads were getting more comments of people just chatting and talking because people had more time. And it was fascinating to see the pickup of people who were kind of interested in whiskey, but had other things that contested their time, have more free time. And that immediately kind of fanned the flames of tons of people being like, this is really cool. There's a lot more information here, I thought. And like, I can engage on a review and ask questions and people give me answers like, like, holy cow. And, and those people stuck around. So it was, it was pretty cool in that aspect. Were you one of the people who picked up on the learning bread making? My, uh, I'm not good at making bread, but my wife picked it up and therefore mm -hmm. uh, we are now a bread household. So I'm very thankful for her. Uh, I, I seem to just pick up more whiskey work to do, but uh, now we have fresh bread because she's she's a killer bread maker. So I'll say I'll say 50 percent. She cooks it. I eat it. And it's a win win. Is she just making the the sourdoughs or is she making, the, you know, the, the, the focaccia or we've we've made it all. We've done like that spicy cheese bread, mm. uh, the, like the twists and, and rolls and bagels and biscuits. And yeah, focaccia has been been a thing. She really excels at sourdough. So like we always have a loaf in in the freezer for different things, but my, uh, my carb intake definitely went up as COVID raged. <laughs> as I'm sure a lot of ours did. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me pull back just, uh, just a second thing. Cause I, I know that I've seen, obviously you use this and I've seen a lot of other people reference it, whether it's on our bourbon or, you know, anywhere blogs and everywhere, but let's, let's talk about your personal whiskey rating scale and maybe why it's so widely used in regards to, to how people, you know, talk about or, try and find a way to to rate or define how how to quantify their enjoyment of a whiskey at the heart of it i you know people people struggle to understand and they always want to understand more so i found 
in my earliest days of reviewing whiskey, I rated on the hundred point scale. And I thought like, you know, I put no thought in it. I was like, everyone else rates on zero to hundred. I'm going to do it. And it was like 50 or so reviews in. And I, the question had come up a couple times and people were like, I thought you would have rated this higher. What's the difference between an 87 and an 88? And coming from an engineering background, I stopped and thought, I don't actually know. Like, I don't know what would have made this an 88, you know, because things that I wanted more out of a whiskey more, I was like, oh man, if the viscosity was just dialed up and the tannins were a little bit more in check. And I think like that wouldn't have taken it from an 87 to an 88. It would have taken it to like a 90 or 92. I would have, you know, just absolutely loved it. And so as I got thinking about it, I thought, what, what's the point of having a review scale where you pretty much start at 79, maybe 75 if it's bad, like truly bad, and 100, but you don't use the 100 part because you're supposed to top out at like 95. So I was like, all right, we're throwing away tons of information. It's confusing. I don't know why I'm using it. Like, that's what bothered me. I stopped it. I was like, I don't know why I'm using this thing. It makes no sense. So I decided to give it a go. I, I reduced it down to zero to 10 figured if I had a scale that I would use 100% of, I could actually talk about it. And I hope that people would find value in it. I didn't know if they would. I kind of, it was just an experiment, but I've been writing about whiskey for me for so long that I thought, all right, if I'm going to switch it up, I may as well do it for something that I'm interested in. And the whole point of the scale is that you should be able to easily place something. Uh, if something is terrible and you never want to drink it again, there's a category for that. That's a zero. If you think something is amazing, uh, it, it's a perfect whiskey. There's nothing about it you change. Then it gets a 10. And, you know, people always ask, like, what if you find something better? Like, that can also be a 10. Like, there can be many, many whiskeys that I want to change nothing about. I've given a 10 multiple times. It's not some unicorn. It's not the best whiskey that will ever touch your lips and nothing can surpass it. And then filling in the gaps in between, you know, finding, like, if you use a 50 on a 100-point scale, everyone who's ever been to school ever assumes that's an F and you fail. We're really on a five out of 10 scale. Like you're just in the middle. Buffalo Trace is what I give a five. Balvenie Doublewood is what I give a five. Like those things are good. I'm happy to drink them, but you can tell very easily if you go north of that, things get better. And if you go south of it, it gets worse. And if you're down in the threes and twos and ones, you probably don't want to drink it again. And so my, my real goal was to just make things easy, explainable, understandable. And I think that's what people started to really attach to is that it made it less difficult for them to rate whiskey. And as a result, they wanted to do more of it, which was also encouraging because I, you know, just want more people to talk about whiskey because that's what I like to do. So that that's kind of the basis of how that came about. And clearly it, it's worked by my own metric because I've been using it ever since. Going back to what you just mentioned about, you know, talking with other people, do you find it more often than not people want to talk just in terms of like the level of which they enjoy it or... They want to get down kind of nerdy into tasting notes, you know, because I've got a lot of guys that I talk with that it's hard to really find a, a scale because they're like it or don't like it kind of guys. Maybe they, you know, they'd work off the take scale, but, but they're not, they don't, they don't mess around with the flavor. Then there are people like me, I'm sure you're the same way too, who can, you know, go through a lot of tasting experiences, tasting notes and whatnot. Where, where do you find most people when you interact with it, whether they're online or in person that they lean towards? Most people, without a doubt, are, are what I kind of put in the thumbs up camp, and the scale works for them too. But um, people people think that rating whiskey is really hard, and they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, like how do you do? Like how how can you possibly rate whiskey?" And I'm like, "All right, well let's let's just have a pour together real quick." And I tell them like, "I just did you like it? Did you not like it?" And they're like, "No, I, I think I liked it." And I'm like, "All right, so you give it a thumbs up. You know, this is probably north of the five. You know, or." 
you didn't like it, it would go south of the five. But people routinely, they don't know that they know it until you ask them questions. But if you ask them, hey, did you like this or not like it? That's usually where most people are. They can tell you thumbs up or thumbs down. And if you ask like, hey, are you interested in talking about it a little more? And they're like, yeah, let's totally like, what did you like? And, and I'll ask them, what aspect of this port did you think was cool? And and once they think about it for just a second outside of like trying to pick out cherry pie and burnt toffee, like you, you can get to the heart of what they like and don't like pretty quick. And you can kind of see it come over their face with like, I know more about this than I thought about. I just didn't know what questions to answer. And, and the same goes for if they don't like it, they'll say it's bitter. And it actually, it burned my throat on the way down. And I'm like, all right, so it's a little hot and there's too much oak and you don't like it. Like that is a perfectly legitimate review in my eyes, and you don't have to write this down, but uh, people people mostly stick with a thumbs up, thumbs down. But it's interesting if you ask one or two targeted questions with no effort on their part, they'll give you just like a quick, quick like answer of why they did or didn't like it. And like, all right, you're on your way to reviewing. It's not that difficult. It's just it's just thinking a little bit more than you're probably used to. That's one thing I like about the scale is that it doesn't actually talk about levels of anything. It doesn't talk about mouthfeel, finish any certain flavors or anything. It's how much you enjoyed it. And uh, I think it's approachable, not just because it's easy. I think it's approachable for the thing that you mentioned, you know, a couple minutes back about it's not necessarily the best thing that's ever touched your lips. It's not necessarily a unicorn. And it breaks the things down that I think people get into when you do bring in numbers or when you do bring in tasting notes, bodies, intensity of anything you run into, which is always wanting to find the bottles that are better than the other bottles. Knowing that you can have a perfectly good drinking experience with something that isn't, you know, a 10 on five to 12 different sliding scales. For sure. And it, it's always interesting to me too, because, you know, the more, the more people drink, the more they, they pick up at these kinds of things. And, you know, the scale is just easy. I want people to understand what they like and don't like. And, you know, we could always talk about this on a W set or, you know, kind of a, a master's court of wine and, you know, talk about spirits in the third person. Like, we're, you know, like we're supposed to in, in the terms of the public and, you know, pick up your glass and be like, all right, this wine is burnished in color. It's amber. It is medium body. It's high acidity. It's low ABV. You know, it's and that helps some people. But then you're only talking to people who share a deeply analytical perspective of spirits, but also understanding. Like if I walked up to you and was like, give me your top three high acidity spirits, you'd be like, what the hell? You know, that doesn't do a lot for people. And that's not how most people think. So I, I think giving people a way to rank what they like and don't like and giving them the opportunity to describe it as they please is really the most effective way uh, to be analytical and precise, but also not box people out. Yeah, I think it's pretty empowering. I, you know, I work in coffee. And so I'm constantly evaluating tasting coffees the same way that I would in the evenings with whiskeys. And it's a struggle sometimes with the team because they might ask what it is. And before I say what it is, I usually ask if they like it, what they like about it. And even that question can get tricky. People think that there's an answer that they need to answer. You know, it's not meant to, but I feel like it can be demeaning is not really the right word, but it, it can seem like you're setting them up for failure. They always expect the trick question. And so, you know, everything that you just mentioned in regards to this, and then the way that you can go about conversations afterwards is just very encouraging and empowering. And I appreciate that. I, I always yeah. say this, my favorite person to drink with is my wife. And it's not because she's my wife, but it's because she's so 
completely hardened to all of the spirits happening around her that I can hand her two Glencairns and say, which do you like better? And 50% of the time she'll pick the thousand dollar whiskey and 50% of the time she'll pick the $12 whiskey. And she is just like so used to it. She doesn't even care. Like she doesn't care what my opinion is. And and it's always so funny to me because she's like, I love that one. And I'm like, okay, so there's an $800 difference in these whiskeys and you pick the $12 one and no fear. Like I, I admire that to know it. Like there's no fear to wrong answer. There's no quick questions. It's just like a B A is the winner. Okay. Bye. Like get out of my face. I think it's the funniest. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious what some of these examples are. Give me give me at least two examples of of these ABs that you've given. Oh man, I've done things like Lafroig 27 and like a Glendronic, right? So something peated wine finished and something really extra aged and not as peated. I'm trying to think going back on a on a bourbon scale, I have 100% served up like William Lou Weller and I want to say it was Bernheim. And I thought like yeah. that one came down to proof. She's like, I don't know. This one's just too hot. I don't really like it. And I was like, that's the grail woman. Like that's the grail. But, <laughs> um, you know, we, even with wines and stuff, like I have been getting really into more thoughtful wine purchases and I'll be like, all right, try these two champagnes. One's a hundred bucks. One's 12. And she's like, oh, $12 one's better. I like the acidity. I'm like, okay. I guess we drink $12 champagne here. And I, you know, it's that's refreshing right. because for me, I get so wrapped up in the details that I forget that. Some people are just like, this is what I like, and that's the answer. Yeah, it's a bit a bit freeing, isn't it? Kind of kind of on that note then, uh, with the abundance of reviews that you see in our bourbon or, or just around, you know, because again, we've mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, when Whiskey Raiders and, and Weekly Whiskey, we know that you, there's other products that you specifically talk about as well. Do you find that people are more often looking for the hyped bottles, the, the the unicorns in a lot of markets? Or do you see people who get really excited to to write about or read about, you know, the everyday pours that they just can't find or they don't have as easy access to? That's an interesting question. And it's one one that I like. On I we always kind of joke, there's three kinds of reviews on Reddit. Like there's the unicorn pours, there's Wild Turkey 101, and there's whatever the meme of the week is. And like, you know, if it's the holidays, it's always that Duke Buffalo Trace shampoo because everyone got it for Christmas. But like it it really, if you chart it as a bell graph, the unicorns are on, on a very skinny end and the shampoo and the mellow corns and the, you know, whatever RTD of the day is on another narrow end. And in the middle is a lot of everyday whiskey. And I think that kind of speaks to the difference. And I won't say that the majority of our bourbon who writes reviews wouldn't chase a, an antique collection or a Van Winkle or doesn't actively do those things. But the bottles that people typically choose to review are things that I would consider uh, available, maybe not pedestrian, but things where if you go to a well-stocked bar, 80% of the bottles on the back bar, whether it's the Beams, Baker's Bullets, Wild Turkeys, stuff like that is very well represented because they're accessible. And, and those seem to be People like to talk about those and they have other reviews to compare it to. But I mean, we do have a contingent of, of very esteemed and like kind of legacy reviewers who have been doing it for a million years. And I know that one day I can wake up and see them hit, I don't know, Wild Turkey 81 because they realized they never reviewed it. And the next day they'll do like the original Parker's Heritage. And it's kind of like, all right, we went from a Pinto to Ferrari, but I know you'll be back in a VW tomorrow. 
So I, I think overall we see a lot of open bottles on Reddit. Like we do see a lot of unicorn reviews. We don't re remove as much, you know, because there's a ton of posts the public doesn't see that we remove, like that are we consider bottle porn where it's people just posting their shelves. But I can't remember the last time I saw a dude just like stroll in with a shelf just loaded with antique collection with nary a cork popped and was just trying to flex on it. Like our bourbon's pretty well understood now. And I think most people are in the middle and just kind of want to talk about what they have within a two foot arms reach of them in, in their glass on that given night. And, and while it's true that I would say tasting in a lot of ways is closely tied to personal experiences, personal palates, what they themselves overall enjoy, what do you think is the importance of people who review whiskey to the people who are consuming, the, uh, reading those reviews, checking out those reviews? Again, this, this can speak from beyond our bourbon. This can go into, you know, feedback or or audience for the website or the show? You know, what is it that you think people find important when they're digesting the reviews? Certainly. Most important, I find people people always crave a connection. And I, I don't mean in an emotional way. People aren't looking for a reviewer to be their friend. Um, but something I routinely tell people is that if you write one review, you provide some value. But if you consistently write reviews, you're providing a ton of value. And the reason for that is people get accustomed to what any person likes or dislikes. And, and that goes well beyond myself. Like I know people who come up and say, hey, I'm glad you like that thing, but our palates just don't agree. And I think that's I love it when people tell me that because I, you yeah. know, it, that's more valuable to me than someone being like, I have loved everything you have ever said was good. And I'm like, all right, cool. That doesn't like that's nice to know. But all right, whatever. And, and I get that with other people like people come up and be like, hey, I just don't agree with breaking bourbon's palate. And that doesn't make their team's value, you know, any any sort of diminished in, in, in the community. But what people are looking for value, I find, is they're looking for a track record and they understand that, hey, if you've rated 90 things and I liked a lot of those things, when you give that next limited edition that I'm on the fence chasing a great score, I know that there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to like it, so I'm going to invest that time or maybe that money. Whereas if they say, you know, uh, Jay gave it a 10 out of 10 and I have not agreed with him since 2020, like you just saved me 250 bucks in eight hours of my life. And and I think that's just as value, you know, just as valuable as someone saying, hey, your reviews are super helpful. And that's a huge goal behind why we built Raiders is, you know, you get one score that averages everybody's opinions, but in the aggregate section, you can go find that reviewer that you think you most line up with, or it's just a good way for you to see, you know, if you're trying to find which personality you line up with best, like all that information is there. So overall, I think reviewers bring a lot to the table because they help people who maybe don't have the privilege or the access. Like I'm super lucky to get to do what I do and to watch it grow every single year. But if you get, you know, your whiskey budget is 20 bucks a month and you can't go try hundreds of whiskeys a year, and you want to know where to spend that money, like it takes a lot of trust in someone who you see repeated track record, uh, you know, agreement with your palate to go say, okay, I have my 20 bucks, I'm buying blind, but they said it's good. I've always thought there's stuff that they liked is good. I, that gives me confidence in that thing I'm buying. And, and that to me, I think can't be understated. With YouTube and YouTube creators in the whiskey realm kind of becoming more and more popular over the last couple of years than it's been that encouragement for people to try and find alignment because there are several channels out there that I would watch or or sites that I would go to and read and I just couldn't decipher one way or another. I, I feel like there might be an alignment and then there'd be some sort of separation. I'm like, I don't, I'm, 
I'm having a difficult time with this. And I'm, I'm a big Four Roses drinker. And so there, I would even run into, at first, it was like, oh, great. There's, there's another person who just loves drinking Four Roses. We must be aligned. And even within one particular brand, you start to realize that people are all over the fence still on what they like, what they don't like, whether it has oak or not, sweet, spicy, things like that. And yeah, I I would agree on that same thing. It's Chalk one of my favorite aspects of the weekly whiskey project I run with my buddy, John Henderson, because we, we like 80% of the same thing. And the point we always disagree on is tannin. Like John, mm-hmm. the oakier it gets, the more he loves it. And for me, the oakier it gets, the, like the more I'm running for the hills. And and people have commented that all the time where they're like, we 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 know that when it comes to like sweet and spice and cinnamon and mouthfeel and ABV and price and availability, like you guys agree on a lot and we align with you. But like, man, I love the oak. So when you say it's too oaky and John says it's just right, like, oh, man, I'm super into it. And I think like <laughs> someday it'd be fun to see a YouTube channel, like the panel of the people with like six different people with totally different palettes, just like raising little pal- like paddle signs to be like, good, bad, good, bad. Because uh, maybe that's what the people need. But it, it's fun to see where it differs. And uh, I think it's fun because I can casually disagree with him and be like, I don't like this because it's too oaky, but I know that you're just over there like like a pig in mud just having the time of your life because this is exactly what you want. I won't lie. Whenever you politely decline on something because it's a little too oaky and John's about it, I, I know that I'm going to be about it. So <laughs> I am one of those, I'm one of those good. people. That's good. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm one of the few people I know, and I'm like, kind of a baby about it. Because like, I do like oaky whiskey, but the moment it gets too tannic, I'm just like, ugh, like, I'm, I'm out, like, tap me out. Mm-hmm. This uh, get me out of here. So this is an interesting question. And, and this kind of spins off of something that you had mentioned about, you know, the target audience, uh, or I should say the target demographic of the people who primarily make up our bourbon. So this is very specific data I'm kind of pulling from. But I was just kind of curious from all the avenues of of where you are in the industry, how do you think the general demographic of whiskey drinkers currently differs from perhaps, I don't know, generation ago of whiskey drinkers and in, in what you're seeing that people tend to like, tend to gravitate towards from whether that's from what you've seen high reviews of or what you've seen just a lot of reviews from or people asking for. Ooh, data. That's a good one. So my my knee-jerk reaction, my knee-jerk statement here is that people have so much less brand loyalty these days. And I, I couldn't, I don't think it could be any better. Um, even like I see a lot of reviewers who are like, hey, I drank Jim Beam for the last 15 years because that's what my family always drank. But then I tried this very different thing and it was super different. And like, I'm now encouraged to try a bunch of different things. Or you have people who are younger than I am and who are advent, you know, like have good jobs and, and work in industries and, and can support like the curiosity to try a lot of products, either at a bar or buying from the store. I see other than, you know, a couple of people who are like, this is my brand. There's no other brands for me. Like, this is it. I'll drink it all. You know, there might be products in that brand I don't like, but this is my brand. Uh, we see so little of that on the internet. Like people if there's something new and interesting, like when Barrel Craft Spirits started coming out and people were like, I don't even understand what they're making, but I'm intrigued. You know, people would go and they would go and buy it. And like, you know, things like Starlight, like I've had people tell me like, I don't even under, like I read your write-up, like on paper, it makes sense. But like, I don't even understand what's going on here, but I'm interested. 
So I'm going to take the plunge and give it a go. And I don't think we saw that aspect to whiskey. And and I think maybe it's the proliferation of the internet, like information travels faster. There's less barrier to learning. You know, you can connect with a hundred other people that have the same budget and interest as you to get an idea what they're buying. But that's the big trend I see. And almost at this point, like no experimentation is too far for a lot of people. Like there's, there's lines that I won't cross. Like there are products that I'm like, all right, that technically has bourbon on the label, but like what the hell? But you know, people will try almost anything once. And as the years go on, it seems like they'll try it a second time, just in a different package and maybe even a third time. And so they're like, all right, I've been burned by this $100 bottle in different clothing three different times. But that's the insight I see. People will try different things just to try them and expect that they won't like them and then go back to the things they like. Um, so I see a, kind of an air of experimentation, much like we saw kind of in craft beer like five or seven years ago. You, what do you think that that's going to, you have any opinions on how things are going to continue to move in the future based on, you know, the trends that you just mentioned you're seeing presently? I think it'll be interesting because we, we did see this in craft beer. We saw craft beer explode and do a bunch of just wild, crazy, Willy Wonka shit left and right. We're seeing that now in whiskey, the, the difference between lead time and your experiment and it hitting the market and beer is just wildly different than spirits. I think we will see kind of a renaissance period in spirits where people are like, okay, so like 2018 to 2023 happened and we all, we all agree that we went a little far, but let's, let's bring it back. You know, we've, we've all been through the pandemic and we've all wear pants again and go to go outside again. Like let's, let's just rein it back in. I think we'll see a little, a little bit of that. I do appreciate like brands like found North are experimenting in ways that I think are both traditional and avant-garde while being interesting and, and kind of thinking of the tradition behind the whiskey making. Overall, I think there's always going to be a couple space cowboys off doing just wild stuff. But, you know, I've learned in talking to some of them, like they are also not afraid to fail. They just need to know if it works and they need to know if some people like it. So I, I can appreciate people who are, you know, like, it's just so crazy. It might work. But overall, I think COVID brought on a lot of new money to the industry. It brought on a lot of people who are willing to buy anything for a good time or just anything to be interested or not bored. And I, I think that'll probably start to contract a bit. But overall, I think bourbon's in a good spot. We're going to see like Barrel Craft Spirits is not going anywhere. I think they've ridden that line between innovation and going a little bit too far really, really tactfully. <laughs> and and those brands I don't think have have anywhere to go but up. You brought up an interesting point right at the beginning of that where you were talking about a lot of folks is uh, kind of break away from brand loyalty. But on the topic just of brands specifically, because uh, that's one thing I like to do here on this show is kind of give some nuggets because I know there's other people in the industry that that listen to it uh, and kind of get a peek uh, behind the scenes of whether it's how, you know, Pursuit Spirits operates or whether it's just kind of business flow stuff. So, you know, if that is true and we're kind of having a separation uh, from, from soul strict brand loyalty, do you think that the brands understand well what the customers want? And do you think that they can describe the consumer's expectations well when they're discussing or talking about their products to people? Oh man, I never pass up a good opportunity to give the, like the consultant answer, which is like, it depends, you know, but in in this (laughs) instance, I think a lot of brands are very much learning that messaging is as valuable as your product physically is like, you know, if your whiskey is great, but you have conflicting messaging, you're, you're not targeting the right types of people like that is doomed because people just simply 
won't try it. I want to say that more brands than not these days are getting it. They, I don't like to lean on social media as like, you have to understand social media, but with, with understanding social media comes a lot of things. You have to decipher who you're speaking to, like, who do I want drinking my whiskey? How do I want them to get it? How do I want to commute, like communicate with them that they should want this thing? And so, you know, it's not all about social media, but it brings a lot of those pillars that brands need to understand. And like new brands, I mean, Kenny and Ryan with Pursuit do a bang up job. They are clear about what the product is, which is a pillar. Like people don't like to think they're drinking something fake or different than what it is. People still won't buy Templeton, even though Templeton is a completely different company. <laughs> and I mean, for the same face, like I still won't buy Templeton because I don't want to support like stuff like that. But overall, most new brands, I think the heritage brands almost have more of a messaging problem than anyone because they they have that that kind of walking stick of like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And we've sold whiskey through terrible downturns before. Like we'll get the young people eventually. And they have the margins and the product and the stocks to survive that. But a new brand absolutely needs to rely on clear messaging and being clear about the product and understanding who their consumer is, because that's the only way to succeed in, in, in a world where quite honestly, there's just a million brands like consumers now can be loyal to one brand, but they'll also be loyal to these 11 other brands that they like, uh, where in, instead of it's just being like, well, yeah, we drink beam cause we're a beam house. So I can't think of clear examples of, of like new modern brands where I think really miss the mark, but I can certainly think of five or seven brands where I'm like, these guys get it. Like every release is clear. It's clean. It's understood. Like when the press release comes out, the product's ready to go. Consumers know it's coming because sometimes brands will announce a product and then nine months later it comes out. I'm like, all right, you, whatever you did there is completely lost. Like so many products came out in that window. So overall new brands, I think are doing pretty good, but you, at this point, having good whiskey is a very small part of the actual pie of being a successful brand. And, and a lot of that relies around communication. Right. It's so interesting. It's interesting that, that it isn't just the whiskey. Right. Speaking it almost itself. seems like sacrilegious. Like, what do you mean? I can make great whiskey and still fail. Like that would have right. never happened in a pre-internet world. Right. So let's dig a little kind of further in regards to, to the internet world. And I'm sure that the Bourbon Pursuit Discord is not the only discord that you are in, that you are active in necessarily, <laughs> but, but you, I, I don't know what you necessarily do all hours of the day, but I try and pop in there and I, and I find myself behind all the time, but you, you're pretty active in, in the discord. And I was just kind of curious with that, you know, I know that uh, Kenny and Ryan, Kenny, you know, been able to chime in a little bit easier than Ryan does, but you know, he talks about the discord group and when pursuit Palooza happened. And I know that discord got a couple of picks and there's a, a deep crew there that have supported bourbon pursuit for a really long time. And then as they've kind of grown with the episode bottles, the single barrels that they did and started to branch out into pursuit United and, and kind of grow their portfolio of things under pursuit spirits. I was kind of curious if you had any thoughts about from your perspective, how you've seen that community respond to Pursuit Spirits as they've kind of taken off and grown? That's a great question. Discord, I mean, Discord is great. Uh, Discord is also great at taking your time if you let it. Um, I like to think of Discord, like it's a communication tool. It's where all my friends have been for years before the pandemic. So for me, it's a very natural part of my day. Like when I have a, 
a break or a spare minute or something's rendering or downloading or compiling, like, oh, I'll just pop into Discord. Um, but it does get voluminous. Overall, I think Discord mirrors the concept. I want to say it was Gary V, but don't quote me on that because I don't actually follow Gary V around. Like I'm not a little Gary V apostle, but um, Discord to me rings true on the concept that you don't need a million fans. You need a thousand dedicated fans. And Discord doesn't do anything to provide that, but Discord is a vehicle uh, that, uh, you know, Pursuit and the Bourbon Pursuit guys have found success in, in that the Discord is where those thousand fans are being bred, in, not in like a weird groomed way, like Kenny's not in there like, all right, today's lesson <laughs> is buy more Pursuit rye, like it's the Bourbon Drinkers rye. But when you get the right types of people in the right place and give them the tools and great moderation and the opportunity to speak and kind of find that common ground, like that is how you build those thousand fans. And Pursuit Palooza came about because of the Discord. You know, we've got a lot of people who all, you know, oddly enough, have been in the same place virtually for so long that they actually want to be in the same place physically for a short period of time. Uh, it, it's a great way to make those types of things happen. And I've seen the Discord mature both on kind of the admin side, like I'm not a moderator, but you know, John, the head mod, like he puts in time and work. Like this dude is slaying on the automation side. Like, he, you know, the amount of work that goes into making the Bourbon Pursuit Discord is almost as valuable as the fact that the people who are there know that they're all there for the same reason. They're supporting the same things. Yeah, they argue constantly, but like they're arguing in good faith and and like support of, of a product. And that's what Discord to me is about is it's connecting people much in the same way that subreddits focus on a very specific subject. And like if you are in the sandwiches, and I use this example all the time, like if you're in the Corgi subreddit, like you're there to talk Corgis. Like you don't care that the other person went to Duke and you went to Duke's rival for college. Like you're there to talk Corgis. Or if you're in sandwiches, you're there to talk turkey clubs. So if you're in the Bourbon Pursuit Discord, like you might not love Pursuit United, but you might love Pursuit United Rye and some of their single barrels and Pursuit series and the podcast. And so everyone there kind of just interacts under the common shared interest of Bourbon Pursuit. And it's been fun to watch it grow. Like now they've done their own barrel picks, which is was like a total circus to watch unfold because, you know, Kenny was like, all right, one person give me tasting notes and like 70 people all contributed <laughs> one individual tasting note and they all were conflicting. And but that's the fun of it because that's like true community. It's the Brady Bunch all in one place with a healthy place to talk and grow and just be themselves. And those people more often than not will always bind together uh, for a greater cause, which at this point is, is Pursuit Series and Pursuit United. I've got, uh, I, I want to get to a tasting here. And even on that that last note you had, they're not going to be the Discord picks. This is going to be the R Bourbon pick. This is going to be episode 48. As I kind of go into our last question, if you don't have that poured, go ahead and get that poured. And, and we can kind of talk about this a little bit but you know i was kind of i'll kind of leave it wow. with this which is you know what things if any would you say people need to keep in mind when they approach a whiskey review aside from what you already previously mentioned you know having an understanding of of who it's from and what kind of things they like or or don't like you know i, I yeah I'll, I'll just toss it back what, what do what do you think people need to keep in mind when they approach reading understanding whiskey review totally great question i love it um when you approach let's let's take it all right so you've poured a whiskey and you're just like hey i want to think about this a little more than i usually do 
Um, I like to tell people, first off, don't eat curry right before you do it. I have nothing against curry. I love it. But dude, just like if you blow out your palate, don't get frustrated. You can't taste it. Like you're out, you're going to taste curry all day. But uh, beyond that incredibly kind of obvious note, like a lot of people like tasting whiskey is not difficult, but I do agree that tasting whiskey can be overwhelming. Like people put a lot of pressure on themselves to exercise a skill that they've never tried before. Like if you, I don't know, Brian, if you tried pole vaulting tomorrow, and I was like, hey, Brian, how it go? And you're like, man, I didn't cross the bar once and I'm quitting. Like, I'm never doing it again. I'd be like, you're crazy. Like, you're not a pole vaulter. Like, sorry for just assuming. I assume you're not a pole vaulter, much like I'm not a pole vaulter. But people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Like, just have some fun. Like, think about, you know, when, when you give it a smell, like, try and correlate it to an experience you've had. Hopefully a positive one, but a negative one is just as powerful. Um, overall, I mean... Tasting whiskey is not hard. It, it's building neural connections between things you've done and, and seen and tasted. And I talk about that all the time. But if you think like, man, this smells just like apple pie, like you are so far ahead of the game because you know what's in an apple pie. Like, you know, the way that apple pie was made that you love. It's got that cinnamon. It's got that warm pastry. Maybe there's some vanilla on top. Like that is an incredibly competent review. And all you said was apple pie. When you're reading a review, I like to try and remind people like this is a snapshot in time. And people ask me all the time, like, are you going to go back and re-review old products? And my answer is, I sure would like to. Like, that's a, you know, I taste over three sessions to write a review. But that still is where my palate was five years ago, seven years ago, two years ago, a month ago. I don't have the time or quite honestly, like the liver real estate, if that's a good way to put it, to like go back and taste all these things. But when you're reading something and if you like strongly disagree, like there's certainly no harm in saying like, wow, I'm glad you love this thing. I happen to hate it. But um, people's opinions change all the time. And I even find whiskeys that I go back and I'm like, you know what? Uh, last couple of years, Bland's has been tasting pretty good. And I like ripped into Bland's pretty <laughs> hard in my early days. And I think my palate's changing. And, and, you know, these are all snapshots. So I try and remind people that like the reason you feel pressure when you go to try and think about a whiskey is probably because it seems like people only disagree with reviews, but really people agree with them all the time. So keep it simple. If you smell apple pie, you know, if you smell people like to make fun of, of Fred for his marzipan, but like that is a super distinctive note. And you will be amazed when you go to smell whiskey, that one thing from your childhood or that good or bad life experience that has that really specific smell, like it will slap you in the face. And if you don't get it on your first whiskey, um, best advice ever, go drink more whiskey, drink it the next night, drink it two nights from now, like drink a couple whiskeys side by side, because then you get to compare analytically just the differences, which is as much of value and in, in description and detail as talking about one dram, but you know, keep it simple, stupid. And as long, if, if you're not having fun, just go drink wine or beer or something like whiskey should be fun. If you're stressed out about whiskey, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but give it away. Go find something that's more fun to you. This, uh, on the nose, this is already, uh, a plus, a plus five. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it, we get in kind of a weird land too, because people always ask me like, Hey man, what would you rate this pick of yours? And I know for someone whose entire life is revolving around rating whiskey, the only thing I won't do is rate a single barrel I do. And that's because like, I'm just so fed up with seeing on Facebook, like groups being like, so we picked our first barrel and everyone agreed it was a 13 out of 10. And I know there's only 17 members in this group, but you're going to need to buy six. And I'm like, that's not what it's all like, you know, I'm not going to rate these, but like you can still give tasting notes. And that's what I do every single week for every barrel I pick. But I'm should numbers. have picked a different thing. We should have been drinking something else then. So you could just lay into it. 
Oh, we don't know, but I will. So I'll, I'll cite an example kind of while we're sitting here though, you know, that that's something that I've kind of wrestled with a little bit when I've read some of the breaking bourbon reviews and love those guys. But sometimes I found it difficult reading through where like all the language points to positivity. And then you go down to the score and you're like, dang, three and a half. I would have right. expected more. That's pretty positive. And then you'll read some and it's bad. And it's like, oh man, I can't wait to see this bomb. And it's a three and a half. And you're like, I'm confused now a little bit on how you scale because there was so much prose here that didn't end in the results I, I thought. And that leaves some confusion there. Just some no, people no. really like certain notes and some people really hate them. Like, like kind of that oak thing. Like if I said monstrous tannins and you didn't know anything about like my previous reviews, but you really like tannins, you'd be like, wait, this score makes no sense. But if, if you'd read a few of my reviews and, and, you know, listen to weekly whiskey and stuff, you'd be like, all right, this is headed down the chute. But I agree with you. It is often hard to correlate like a score with the adjectives chosen because they don't always match quite up. And that's not with just breaking bourbon. That's with any review. And even sometimes I'll read back an old review of mine and I'll be like, that's weird. I thought I liked this better. And then I get to the score and I'm like, no, no, that's scored appropriately. I just, palette's changed. Yeah, at the core to this one, on the nose and palate, I would probably just say maple syrup and tangy and tingly fruit notes. I'm trying to this is that, keep yeah, it real this simple. Is that finger lakes, which is, has such a beautiful complexion of just like dull fruit syrup and like a cornucopia of like berries, which I, I do love a fruity whiskey, but when you combine it with some rice spice, it, it really pops. You feel that one, which I'm, I say surprised. It's not really surprising necessarily, but you know, I did look over on the bottle. This is 101.32 proof. And to me, it drinks uh, above it. Not not so much above it that it's just hot and and difficult to drink, but you feel the rye spice. And that kind of combined with that sweetness that it has to it feels like a richer whiskey, I think, than, than what you would believe on the proof. Hmm. Mine says 102. Not far off, though. Yeah, I don't know what this, it's, it's somewhere. It's somewhere it, in the It's middle. low. I'll give it to you. It's low and it kicks you. Like this is mm -hmm. definitely, there's no doubt about it. Like this is rye. And even though there's some fruit in there, like that rye will not be held back. Yeah, this is, and that's again, a, a downside of us tasting this specific one because this is gone. It is something that someone can, cannot easily obtain. But uh, a couple episodes ago, Ryan and I, talked about one of the episodes and so i was trying to make it my goal that through some of these upcoming recordings that we take a little bit of a a chance to taste through some of these episode bottles give these kind of quick reviews for the folks who don't have access to to getting all the episodes because they've been you know in various distro various small picks and then a couple of them that did go uh to the the discord group and then a few that are on or were on seal box available for order too. So kind of tasting through some of those really enjoy tasting through these, uh, New York rise. Any closing thoughts? I know it took up maybe a little bit more time than I, than I thought I would with you during your busy schedule, but, um, anything, anything to, to leave on, on this subject before we button things up, man, it is never a bad time to talk whiskey. So it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's always fun to be back and, and see that little bourbon pursuit icon in the, in the riverside where we're recording because, you know, for me, just like I think about whiskeys from hundreds or thousands of reviews ago, like I think about the first time I was on bourbon pursuit, the whole world has changed. 
I, I work in whiskey to some extent. It's really cool. It reminds me that whiskey is always changing. The people are always changing. People are coming. People are going. And overall, the industry is growing. So um, I say to anyone, if you've been thinking about putting down your thoughts on paper about whiskey, uh, totally do it. Yesterday was the best day. Today is the second best day. It's not hard. You don't even have to share them with anyone. But I guarantee if you think about, if you just write a couple notes about a whiskey once a week and you look back 10 or 15 weeks ago, you'll be like, I am totally different. And I know more about the things I'm drinking. I know more about the things I like. Most importantly, I know more about the things I don't like, what I don't want to spend more money on. And if you get to that point, like that is all I want for everyone who drinks whiskey. Like I, some people joke, I say, I feel bad for people that do shots. And like, I don't care if you do shots, like I'll do a shot at a concert or something. But like, if whiskey for you is just a quick second of flavor and and to get to the, you know, getting to the, to the, the fun, I guess the young people would say part of drinking whiskey, like that's cool and whatever, but the industry is so deep. The amount of work people put into it is so deep. There's so much to enjoy and talk about. And there's such a great community, whether you find it on Reddit or Instagram or YouTube or discord to find. So if any of that interests you whatsoever, give it a quick go. Uh, there's plenty of room. Like I'm not worried about competitors. Like I'd love to see new reviewers come up every day. So many of them are my friends. Like there's room for everyone at the bar. So super mushy closing note. So I'll, I'll, pull it together and get out of here. But, you know, whiskey's fun. It, it's a pleasure to be here. I love working with people in whiskey. I love talking with people in whiskey. Uh, my projects are, as they always are growing, you can find me on Our Bourbon. I go by Take, which is T-8-K-E. I run Our Bourbon Single Barrel Program, which at this point is the biggest barrel program that I can think of. We're set to do about 175 barrels this year. Uh, really cool. Get involved, get a slice. And as always, you can find me on YouTube with John at Weekly Whiskey. Uh, that project is great. I'm also on whiskeyraiders.com. I'm their spirits editor and critic. Uh, we've just launched rum raiders, gin raiders, tequila raiders. So the family's growing there too. And you can find whiskey raiders on YouTube as well. And I think I've plugged enough holes to keep a, a ship afloat, but it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me and don't stop drinking whiskey people. Yeah, Jay, thanks so much for being on. And again, like you mentioned too, with other people being able to bring value through doing the reviews. I hope you know that we appreciate all the value that you've brought to the industry from, you know, seven plus years uh, of writing and, and kind of showing other people the way to, to dive in and just kind of understanding more about the spirit. So thanks for everything that you do. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And thanks again for having me. Guys, thanks so much for tuning into another episode of Behind the Pursuit. Hope you guys found some interesting tidbits in today's topic. Again, if you have any topic requests or questions that you have for upcoming episodes on the shows, you can email us podcast at pursuitspirits.com. We'll dig through those and maybe bring it out on another episode coming up on the show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, everyone, until next time, we'll see you all later. Later.